Dawn Rosenquist, and welcome to Character in Context, where I teach the historical and ancient sociological context of scripture with an eye to developing the character of the Messiah. If you prefer written material, I have six years worth of blog over at theancientbridge.com, as well as my six books available on Amazon, including a four-volume curriculum series dedicated to teaching scriptural context in a way that even kids can understand it, called Context for Kids. And I have two video channels on YouTube with free Bible teachings for both adults and kids. You can find the link for those on my website. Past broadcasts of this program can be found at characterincontext.podbean.com and transcripts can be had for most broadcasts at theancientbridge.com. If you have kids, I also have a weekly broadcast where I teach them Bible context in a way that shows them why they can trust God and how he wants to have a relationship with them through the Messiah. So this week is really different and this episode is designed to dovetail with the series I did last summer with the kids. It was um, 11 or 12 part series designed to help children deal with the modern crisis of gender confusion without talking the slightest bit about sexuality because I don't believe this has anything to do actually with sexuality. I believe it has to do with kids not being able to win no matter what they do and not being permitted to be the unique people that God created them to be. Between worldly culture and religious culture, we have done a terrible disservice to children that has created problems that were worse than the ones we thought we were preventing. Now, evangelical Christianity has been positively obsessed with creating masculine Christian men and feminine Christian women. But what does that even mean? And who decides? And based on what cultural time period and values? And what about people who were never born to meet those elusive standards? How are our kids reacting to these standards and how do these expectations damage and confuse them and drive them into thinking that they aren't really boys and girls, but instead people who can't measure up for this or that reason? Little boys are made from snips and snails and puppy dogs tails, right? Not always right. Big boys don't cry, but Jesus wept, and so did Jacob, Joseph, David, and many others in the biblical text. Little girls are made of sugar and spice and everything nice, except when they aren't. Girls are supposed to be meek and submissive, not bring home any income that will threaten their husbands, we are told fragile egos, and stay at home and raise families based on 1950s upper and middle class white household standards that weren't feasible for much of anyone even 50 years before. But, you know, what about those who don't marry or can't have children and don't meet our culture's standards of physical beauty? If we look back through recent and ancient history, what expectations of ours would we find to be worldly and culturally determined, and which would actually be commanded and celebrated throughout Scripture? We'll be covering this and a whole lot more today. Now, first things first. In the Bible, God never endorses any culture. 
You know, the Bible stands in critique of human culture, past, present, and future. That's why it's useful. It didn't tell Abraham, you know, that the ancient Near Eastern way of doing things was good. It didn't tell the Israelites in Egypt that their culture was good. It didn't tell the people at Sinai that they had it right. You know, the Bible from front to back is the story of God rescuing us, not only from our sins, but from our cultures. You know, from the brutal ancient Near Eastern reality of the Old Testament to the brutal Greco-Roman reality of the New. Uh, you know, to the unique reality of our modern times. But Hellenized Judaism got slammed. And so would American Christianity if, you know, we would spend a lot more time listening to what the Spirit has to say. In fact, the Bible never says, you know, yeah, you guys are perfectly just and absolutely getting it right. The Bible can't say that because, you know, we are and always have been creatures who are influenced by worldly standards of worth, beauty, justice, ethics, and morality. We can no more claim ourselves to be unaffected by the injustice of the world than by the pollutants in the air. Now, we are all compromised, all right? And we've even incorporated our culture into our religious observances. And we do that because we read our own cultural ideas and prejudices into the text without even thinking about it or being aware of it. But perhaps the most damaging thing we've done is when we lift the cultural reality or the background scenery of the biblical world and set it up on a pedestal as an ideal for our lives in the here and now. Guess what? God was initiating a campaign to bring them out of that culture and into his, which is founded on the principles of justice and righteousness, love and goodness, grace, kindness, gentleness, and perhaps most importantly, self-control. We can't be like him while also clinging to culture, no matter whose culture it is. You know, Yahweh has reached out to us both through his instructions at Sinai and even more dramatically now through the new creation inaugurated at the cross. You know, not to enshrine the standards and culture of ancient societies, but instead to set humanity on a trajectory of reform and freedom from participating in the evils of this world. Evils, I might add, that, you know, come in some really surprising forms. And in many ways, we have reformed. Slavery is almost unheard of within the Judeo-Christian world. Despite being accepted as good and even God's will as late as the 18th century, by just about everyone who wasn't enslaved. Women can now be educated in almost all Christian sects and have been freed from the tyranny of polygynous marriages that set them as rivals to their sisters in Christ and subjected them and their children to the divided attention and resources of their husbands while he enjoyed their undivided attention and partook of the undivided resources of many women. Women can now survive abandonment 
And, you know, there's, there is now respectable employment for us in the world. Wasn't always the case. Children are no longer left exposed on hillsides to die as people walked by without noticing, even though we still have abortion and many of the social problems that lead women to make that choice. You know, so much has changed, but so much more still needs to be changed. It's a better world than it was when Yeshua was here, or you may call him Jesus. But any student of history can attest that it is better, but we still have a long way to go. Now, we get some things right, don't get me wrong. But one of the things we've gotten wrong is our very American idea about what is manly and what is womanly. Ideas that very much exclude men who aren't naturally tall, muscular, or rugged looking. Ideas which exclude women whose facial features aren't delicate enough or their bodies thin enough or curvaceous enough to conform to this decade's idea of what makes a woman beautiful. Pastors give sermons about how men need to have a beautiful women, uh, woman on their arm. <laughs> Some teach beautiful women on their arms. <laughs> but how they deserve to have a beautiful woman on their arm or need to. And, you know, one who is a model of social perfection while they themselves must often deny who Yahweh uniquely made them to be in order to measure up to the men on the covers of romance novels. You know, we've created this tyrannical society where only a few can measure up, not to biblical standards of beauty and gender perfection, which are characterized not by looks, but by fruit, virtue, and industriousness inside and outside of the home for both sexes. You know, but instead to cultural norms. Christian men want a woman who looks good according to the culture, and women have been trained to want a man who is likewise culturally acceptable. Such is the tyranny of worldliness in the church. And such is the trap that our children have fallen into increasingly. But they are increasingly realizing that it is futile and they are responding in unhealthy ways. Pastor Stuart Allen, in January of 2021, preached a sermon that went viral on the internet when he complained about wives letting themselves go and how men need a beautiful woman on their arm. It did not go unnoticed that he wasn't thin as he demanded of his wife, or even attractive by modern standards as he demanded of his wife, or even well-dressed in the pulpit. Everything that came out of his mouth was worldly and being cheered on by his audience. And he isn't the only one saying these sorts of things giving men the message that men only need to be men, but women have to meet cultural standards of beauty that few can attain, not even with the help of airbrushing and computerized manipulation of their images. We live in a world where men can age, but women must not. 
this is a message that is exalting our sons as long as they are suitably masculine in their behavior as defined by culture and setting our daughters up either for failure or for vanity at a very early age. That culture, of course, does it is to be expected. That the church follows culture is criminal and vile. I do find it strange that in terms of dealing with transgendered individuals, we say that a man and a woman are defined by their chromosomes and not by anything else, while saying the opposite when it comes to how men and women are required to behave and look. In that case, it isn't enough to have the XY chromosome in the male genitalia, because to be a Christian man, you also have to go to lumberjack school and be capable of growing facial hair, or you aren't really a man at all. It's a no-win situation because we have become decidedly unbiblical and worldly in our expectations. We weren't always like this, obsessed with these ideas to the point of forcing Christian men to be uber rugged in order to be acceptable as men of God. And we certainly didn't get these ideas from the Bible, which says absolutely nothing about the ideal man in terms of appearance, but instead focused on the heart and action required of kingdom humans, male and female alike. The problem came in when we decided we needed to look not only respectable in terms of our behavior, but also prosperous in terms of our appearance. Again, not biblical. Instead of standing out as countercultural and a refuge for the least of these and for the poor and the outliers of society, we strive to look like the world in terms of their values. Only it's the 1950s white middle and upper class world that never worked for anyone else and doesn't represent the historical reality that both men and women have been breadwinners and that makeup and fancy hair were reserved for royalty and not for normal people because of the time and resources required to indulge in such luxuries and vanities. But now a woman isn't deemed to be acceptable as a wife or look professional at work without looking like the royalty of ages past while men get away with a far, far lower standard. You know, if they comb their hair, we're doing good, right? Now, what about the kids who don't and can't measure up to cultural standards as opposed to biblical standards, which are based on character? Are we going to make our congregations into extensions of the hell that so many of us endured in high school? Maybe some of you enjoyed high school, um, but if you did, then there's a really good chance that you lack the perspective to appreciate what we adults are doing to our kids, you know, to try and get them to measure up to worldly standards before they ever even see a schoolroom. It's nothing but peer pressure, and it's an insult to God and how he made individuals. You know, not Barbie and Ken dolls. Now, God does not control us or commandeer us. God has never demanded that we look a certain way or work out or wear elaborate outfits 
or makeup or spend a ton of money at the salon on our hair and nails. God stands witness against our materialistic and beauty-obsessed culture and not as a fan of it. Women aren't even allowed to look like themselves if they want to appear professional or if they want to keep a man, supposedly. But I, I'd never wear makeup and Mark prefers it that way. Thank you, Mark. You know, when he leaves, we get the speculation that we've let ourselves go instead of looking at the faithfulness and self-control of our husbands or the lack thereof. And by self-control, by the way, in the Greco-Roman context was inherently tied to the ability to control oneself sexually. That was self-control. It's not just about outbursts of anger, you know, which we also see in Galatians 5. But in a church culture focused on externals, that's just where our worldly minds take us. And our kids watch it, and they internalize it, and they judge themselves according to those standards even before their peers get a hold of them. Am I pretty enough? Am I doing the right things to be attractive? Am I macho enough? Am I enough of a man to satisfy the crowd's demands? Here's the questions we force on our kids when um, we inflict severe and unyielding gender stereotypes on them. If I'm not feminine or masculine enough, does that mean I'm gay? I have all the girl parts, but my body is not very girlish, so maybe I'm not really a girl at all. And I'm not interested in hair or makeup or being a cheerleader. Am I a lesbian? I love sports and science, and I'm a loud and boisterous girl, and my parents tell me that I came out of the womb that way. Maybe I'm a boy trapped in a girl's body. Or how about... Grandpa says I'm a 98-pound weakling and that I need to get outside and play sports, but I was in the hospital three times last year with asthma attacks. I get told that I need to toughen up if I want to be a real man, but I'm really interested in music and painting. I write my own songs and play three instruments, and my art teacher tells me that I've got a real talent in oils. I don't enjoy watching sports, much less playing them. Even though I have a crush on Sheila down the street, the other boys say that I must be gay and even the guys at church. Did God make me wrong? Why am I so skinny and sick? Why am I so talented at art and music? If I go to Juilliard, will I really come back as a... Well, I hate that word a lot. Why is the way I am not manly? Why do I have these talents if they aren't for guys and only for girls? It seems as though if I show the world who I really am, that I don't belong to any group at all, and I don't know how to deal with that. So what values are we really promoting here? Where is the emphasis on fruit and godly living? Why are we focusing on attractiveness and the 70-year-old cultural norms that of a select few? promoted on television, no less, to show the world that Christians somehow have most favored nation status? It's simply another form of prosperity gospel. But just as in the areas of health and money and stuff, most people come up empty. 
Instead of the church being a sanctuary, it becomes just another reminder that they don't measure up. And our kids are watching. And our kids are the victims. And our kids are fighting back by trying to mesh who they know they are on the inside, messy and unique individuals who do and do not measure up to this and that by showing it on the outside, or in extreme cases, by changing their outsides. Very frankly, it's because we have given them no way to be whom God created them to be, uniquely be while still validating them as males and females. It's a hard issue that we adults have and we have forced the hand of all the kids who have never really fit in. And they have no idea how to fit in either. People like me. And I wonder what I would have done when I was a teenager if this had been an option for me. This counterculture pushing back on the insane ideals that were never really reasonable for the majority. Resentment and confusion build until they explode into something really damaging. And not just with gender. And when that happens, we blame the generation that explodes. When we should really blame ourselves for perpetuating anti-kingdom values. Haven't we always known that it was wrong? But haven't we gone along with it anyway, just so desperate to belong? When our kids are struggling with this insane, unjust, and ungodly system of measuring up, when they don't even know if they're really boys or girls because they don't fit into the very strict mold that evangelical Christianity has foisted on, and the rest of us have adopted as our own and gone along with it, okay? You know, how dare we judge them when what we must do is step back and remeasure what makes a real man or a real woman in terms of godly character. Until we can accept others as image bearers, regardless of how they fit in socially, a.k.a., you know, in worldly ways, then our kids won't be able to stomach what they hear in church as we preach one set of values from the text while we live out our faith and indoctrinate one another, and especially our kids, according to the worldly standards of the 1950s, while pretending that they are somehow biblical. Or that they were a great time to be living if you weren't an upper or middle class white suburban. There are books out there telling girls and boys what they need to be in order to be pleasing to God. And none of it comes from the Bible. It comes from the culture of the last few centuries, and especially the golden age of Hollywood, where men were portrayed as tough and as controllers of the world, like John Wayne, and women were soft and delicate and occasionally spunky, but still knew their place and couldn't get anything done without a man to protect them. That led to the era of John Wayne and Billy Graham, who changed the way the world saw evangelicals, or evangelists, you know, with Billy Graham's rugged good looks and focus on physical fitness. Today, it looks like Mark Driscoll 
and Alan Stewart telling men and women from the pulpit how they must first measure up physically and not spiritually. Well, he didn't tell men. If we talk about gender confusion, we must start with what the scriptures demand of both genders and then look at what they're being taught from the pulpits. And we have to learn to be discerning about the messages that we teach our children, often with the agenda of not wanting them to be socially unacceptable or homosexual or whatever it is that embarrasses us. And the messages that our kids are receiving from the pulpit and asking ourselves if we are making them into Barbie and Ken dolls or into servants of the Most High, meeting different standards and living up to what it really means to bear the image of the unseen God whose character and not appearance must be emulated. This God without DNA, because he had to create it, and who is unapologetically described in the Bible as both paternal and maternal, emotional and forgiving, merciful and justice-minded, patient, loving, kind, gentle, self-controlled, generous, and ally to the vulnerable, no respecter of persons Jew or Greek, male or female, Greek or barbarian, which is an idiom actually, meaning someone, if it's Greek, someone educated, or barbarian, someone uneducated. Slave or free, and we are all to emulate him in that. No excuses. What we are not called to do is create an idol out of any cultural ideal and substitute that for the command to represent him to the world and the manifestation of his glory to the world will look the same and also different depending on who he created us to be. When God gifts somebody, when God gifts someone with the talents of art and music, it isn't because he wants them to play baseball instead. And we insult God when we shun his beautiful gifts just because of cultural pressure. Evidently, God is under the impression that masculinity is about having a penis. <laughs> but other than that, a man can be so many things have so many talents and interests, and it is only the idolatry of culture that tells us otherwise. And frankly, whether you or I approve of homosexuality or not, same-sex attraction doesn't eradicate gender either. Suggesting otherwise drives people in the wrong direction and toward gender confusion and not away from it. When we penalize culturally, when we penalize culturally unmasculine or unfeminine traits, we compound the problems. There is nothing wrong with a man who wants to be a stay-at-home dad. In fact, that may very well be God's design for him. Who are we to tell God what men and women should do and look like? This is what we do when we marginalize Deborah for being a leader or Paul for being sickly and by his own admission, meek in person and only forceful in writing or when, as Mark Driscoll and others have attempted, made their version of Jesus into a tattooed, swearing, muscle-bound fan of cage fighting who would mock men who didn't measure up to modern masculine ideals. We're the problem as moms and dads and teachers and relatives and preachers. In fact, we are worse than Hollywood 
because anyone can see they are worldly, but we pretend that our standards are somehow not worldly because they reflect the worldliness of another generation and one specific ethnic group. It seems holy and right because we look back with rose-colored glasses and refuse to see what life was really like in those days and the cost of that lifestyle for those who couldn't ever hope to have it. Men can be meek. Women can be strong. God makes us and uses us as all sorts of people. Not everyone will be married and not everyone will have kids. Since the resurrection, our command to be fruitful and multiply has been tweaked into a need to preach the gospel and multiply the children of God in that way. There is nothing wrong with being our unique selves in service of God's kingdom as long as we image the character of God as preached by Yeshua and by Paul, who both set such high standards that growing into them should be far more of a focus than our physical appearance. Are we giving our kids what they need to measure up to kingdom standards? Or are we desperately wanting them to look attractive to the world based on standards that have nothing to do with the cruciform message of Christ and him crucified, resurrected, and reigning? And that's a hard message, but it's a, it's a vital message. Our kids are hurting and it's our fault. It's the fault of our presumption that the, the cultural standards of a certain culture represent the apex of what God wants. Really, it's, a, it's an illusion. The 1950s, if you weren't white and upper middle class, was pretty much a horrible time to be alive. And there's no arguing it. It may have been better than some times before it, but it was still really, really bad. Let's not drag our kids back into that. We can't. We're destroying them. We're killing them. And they're killing themselves. See you next week.